Section three of the Rose Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. The Rose Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. Andy's Vision. Twas many years ago. Andy McCurry was an only son, an unspoiled son and no one would have thought it possible that religious Mrs. Amantha McCurry's wee, pale-faced boy would have had such an experience. But religious parents sometimes bring unique children into the world. Certainly Andy was an anomaly. That Mrs. McCurry should be so unfortunate as to have a child out of the ordinary was something to be pitied indeed, and a fact to be hid from the neighbors. So when the revelation of the vision came, Mrs. Amantha McCurry pondered much, but wisely kept the matter to herself. Else what would the neighbors have said? Great chums were Andy and his father, the heart-and-heart heart sort. They hung together like burrs. Andy's mother was severely religious, streaked a wee bit too much with the steel-gray paint of the Covenanters, highly proper in all things and something hard. "'Don't, don't, don't,' was the wearisome song of Andy's daily life. Consequently, his jolly father, with his bra, hale, and hearty ways, became Andy's hero, his all." Andy and his father seemed to know each other's thoughts without much explanation. They understood each other, which occasionally happens between mortals, though not often enough to disturb the natural processes of character culture. Their sympathies were keen and sensitive, especially when Mrs. Amantha McCurry started a religious storm in the house. When his father set out for India, Andy was fourteen years old. To Andy it seemed a long journey from Edinburgh to India— and journeys were not made so quickly nor so easily in those days as now. Andy felt that his father was going to the ends of the earth. Letters were rare long ago, few and far between, according with the smooth or stormy passage of the ships. News travelled slowly, so the year wore past wearily for Andy. December had spread its bleak mantle over Edinburgh. The streets were sloppy, damp exhumed from the grey stone houses, Dour mists enveloped the castle in Arthur's seat, and belated vapors smothered the beauty of Prince's Street. A leaden sky hung gloomily overhead, and a bitter east wind blew down from Calton Hall, and everywhere the atmosphere sniffed of coke and soot and seawater. Twas hopeless weather, but one ray of sun split upon Andy's sky. His mother had received an epistle from India. Within a month Mr. McCurry would be home, perhaps by New Year's Day, Andy walked on air, poor laddie. He was longing for his father. How endless the year had seemed without him, and now it was nearly over. Andy's heart grew light. Every day he thought of his father and planned of the wonderful things he and his father would do, how he hungered for a sight of him. Christmas Day arrived, and slow and stupid was the day for Andy. Mrs. Amantha McCurry ever accepted it as a religious duty she had to perform, and perform well. The plum pudding was sanctimonious, even to the lack of currants and raisins. The turkey had lived the life of a recluse. Its abstemious fairing was plainly visible in the lack of fat on its scrawny frame. Poor Andy. T'was a dour lonesome day, forlorn indeed, for it poured all day, soft, permeating, melancholy rain. It rained as Scotch weather knows how to rain, and the doleful patter, patter, measured each hour. Andy was not allowed to yell, so could make no noise to drown the sound of the rain. Such vulgar conduct merited a severe discipline of bread, water, and bed. 
His mother never considered his age. He was ever a fractious laddie, at least she thought so, and it mattered little what anyone else thought. Christmas evening at last dragged wearily into existence. Andy had made brave efforts to enjoy himself all day. He had done everything that he was allowed to do. Every hour he had courageously determined not to be lonely, not to think of his father, not to hear the monotonous dirge of the raindrops. Nothing succeeded. Finally he picked out a favorite book from his father's small library and curled into an easy chair by a skimpy fire of his mother's mending. T'was no use. Andy left his book and went to a window. A dismal prospect met his eyes. Rain dropped into the lifeless areas. It rolled wearily off the cobblestones and into streams that ran anywhere and everywhere downhill. It soaked into the little park square and polished the leaves of the holly and laurel trees, and it ran off the iron railings. The foot passengers looked as miserable as the weather, collars up in a general air of wilting and despair. An occasional dray scraped past, or a hansom scurried along. The lamps were lighted and glimmered dimly through the thick mist, and the patter of the rain was maddening. Andy could think of nothing but the awful tortures of the Middle Ages. The drop, 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 slowly descending on the prisoner's head, and the madness that closed the cruel scene in the last act of human misery. To the stingy fire Andy dolefully returned, but his restlessness and loneliness increased. He seized the book and began again. This time he succeeded fairly well. Indeed, he was at an exciting crisis when he felt impelled to look up. He felt that he must look up, but boy-like he resisted the force. With dour Scotch determination he read on. It was the first incident of the day that had interested him. He grew rather excited over it. In his awakened interest he forgot his loneliness, the pattering drops, even his father. T'was overwhelming, and Andy's curiosity got the better of his will. He stared a moment at the floor, and then peered shyly up. There in the doorway his eyes fastened tight. Andy shivered. His heart stopped with a jerk and then thumped so loudly it deafened him even to the rain. There in the doorway stood his father. "'Mercy, laddie! What are ye gaping at?' A sound box on the ear broke the spell. "'If ye hae nothing to do but gape, say your prayers and gae to bed. Ye hae muckle need o' your mither's spirit, sitting there as if ye'd seen a ghaist.' Andy paled but said nothing. With Mrs. McCreary's voice the vision had faded and Andy was marched to bed with a slither of plum cake woefully lacking in plums as a special Christmas beneficence. New Year's Day came and dismally passed. No sign of Mr. McCreary's return. Mrs. Amantha McCreary expressed stern displeasure on New Year's Day when her husband made no appearance, and she vented her righteous indignation in good covenanting style. So New Year's Day was as glum as Christmas for Andy. January slipped away slowly. Still no word on the dark and raw days. At the end of January, Mrs. McCreary hoped in religious zeal that nothing had happened the foolish man. February dragged its ruthless days along and ended, but no news of Andy's father lightened the sadness in the little lad's heart, and as February neared its close, his mother arrayed solemnly in black and believed all was for the best. But as March advanced, her spirit broke when still no news came. Mrs. Amantha McCreary loved her husband in an odd way. She would scold vigorously, mend his coat neatly, and give him a square meal in the same breath, so to speak. She possessed the happy faculty of making him comfortable and wretched in the same moment. There are some folk built that way. News came at the end of March. Andy had suffered keenly through these past clouded days. 
Silently he had mourned his father for dead, and his vision came back and troubled him. He longed to tell his mother, but she was unapproachable about such things. He knew she would condemn it as wicked imaginings, and she would say that he was flying in the face of providence and daring the devil to do his worst, that such talk was enough to bring some awful doom upon himself, poor little innocent laddie, and upon his home. But at last the news had come. Perchance there is more providence in the things unseen than in the things seen. Perchance there is a good spirit moving in these wandering premonitions, these strange inward visions, these weird haunting presentiments. Perchance there is meaning even in our dreams. Pray who can explain these mysterious, silent influences, and yet how frequently they come true. But in these materialistic days we believe nothing, unless it strikes home to our reason, the way a loose board in the sidewalk hits us in the face. But the news had come at last. Andy's father had been seriously ill on his return journey and had been left at an out-of-the-way port. He was now convalescent. In a few days he would be home. What a load fell off Andy's heart, and how his thoughts broke loose and flew to the old pleasures and haunts and games he and his father had enjoyed together. The dour gray cloud had broken and Andy's heart beat high with the sunshine of anticipation. His father was coming home. From the day that the news came, a great change took place in Mrs. Amantha McCurry. She rushed to the shops on Prince's Street. She purchased a plum silk gown and a pink feather for a new velvet bonnet. Indeed, she was to be a study in plum for Mr. McCurry's arrival. Mrs. McCurry laid in a stock of mince pies, sufficient to lay waste the digestive organs of half the population of Old Riki. She made plum puddings so full of currants and raisins there was no room left for the pudding. As for turkeys... The story went among the neighbors that she had bought a dozen and fed them so well that they grew too fat and elastic bands were necessary, as Providence had set a limit even to the capacity and extension of turkeys. And the whole house reeked of scotch bun, shortbread, and raspberry vinegar. As for Andy, he was rigged in a bonny suit of McCurry tartan with a black velvet Glengarry atop, sporin platy buckles and all. Just like the soldiers in the castle as he explained to his father later on, regretting that he had not a bagpipe with long McCurry streamers flying from the pipes and muckle of a grand noise inside him. Of course the neighbors decided that Mrs. Amantha McCurry was going to marry again. Neighbors always know. The McCurry home was turned topsy-turvy. Everything that Mr. McCurry had disliked of the stern and proper in furniture and pictures of Mrs. Amantha's covenanting choice mysteriously disappeared or reappeared in such strangely gay and weirdly tinseled attire that Andy's religious ideas sustained a nervous shock. New things replaced the old to a perilous extent, and the sober covenanting home with its scriptural furniture and catechism details was metamorphosed into a gala display of cheap vases alive with cupids, nude and shocking, flimsy gilt chairs with limited supporting powers, and many striped draperies and cushions not at all religious. The neighbors marveled at the expense and signaled danger to each other. But when Mrs. Amantha McCurry actually stayed away from church several Sundays in succession, the deacon concluded that her morals were toppling. The neighbors held up their hands in holy horror. Regarding Mrs. McCurry, she dashed at Andy a hundred times a day. So often did she kiss him that Andy, in fear that no cheek would be left for his father, kept blowing them out to make sure. "'Twas amazing how much she accomplished in these few days. "'As the hour of arrival neared, Mrs. McCurry grew excited. "'She rushed Andy to the Waverley Station in a cab, Andy's first drive. "'To fill up the waiting time, she fed Andy on currant buns and mince pies. 
such lavish prodigality she had never been guilty of before andy's brain whirled in giddy confusion and it is to be feared that his stomach was affected too when mr mccurry appeared mrs amantha mccurry flew into his arms burst into tears and squeezed hard what was left of him such a frantic display of love was so unwanted that the station-master looked on in mild surprise and concluded that his neighbour mrs amantha mccurry was very excitable and in a highly nervous condition so warm and sincere feelings sometimes appear to the onlooker who is not at all interested in the parties and not in the least concerned with events and who in fact should mind his own business thank god she cried my poor man i'm mickle glad to see ye never was i so happy poor lassie murmured the astonished man are ye no feeling weel the day weel weel indeed i should say you'll see that soon enough concluded mrs mccurry exuberantly come hame no gallantly and merrily the happy trio drove home in the cab surely this is no my solemn religious lassie amantha thought mr mccurry as he stared at his wife and gradually mr mccurry awakened from a sustained stupor a grand celebration followed this bewildering reception mr mccurry was sailing without a compass now and recklessly permitted himself to drift with the winds wild though they were probably the church had lost its rudder since he had left old Riki. there was nothing for him to do but climb into the boat and wobble along in the helmless bark with the wavering multitudes why they had even raffled a barrel of rum in one kirk and no one seemed to mind it did not matter apparently so he gave himself up completely to the full enjoyment of his belated christmas festival as mrs mccurry had planned it and a really jolly christmas it was inclusive of plum puddings turkey mince pies shortbread currant bun and best of all a sparkling glass of whisky toddy oh mrs amantha mccurry it warmed the cockles of mr mccurry's heart in the evening as they sat beside a blazing fire such as andy had never seen mended there before mrs mccurry turned to her husband affectionately and asked weel dearie what do you think o our christmas jolliest i ever kenned exclaimed the happy man slapping his hands together enthusiastically we'll hae another next year we fall indeed said mrs mccurry with all her heart in the words at the mention of christmas andy started nervously what's the matter bairnie kindly inquired his mother nathan gasped the boy fearsomely mr mccurry bent his eyes gravely on the boy remarking slowly why laddie you're as pale as a ghost that made matters worse and he glanced timidly toward the door the while dinna mind me dad it's it's nothing and the boy shivered slightly but mr mccurry studied the boy's face and then also gazed at the open door hey ye seen a spirit lad he asked deliberately poor andy nodded too afraid to speak just no pursued his father carefully no whispered the frightened child and now mrs mccurry became interested when did ye see a spirit laddie last christmas ma they were all silent for a while and then mrs mccurry gently inquired and where did ye see the ghost andy pointed nervously to the door and why did ye no tell us andy i couldna pa poor laddie you look awful scared no i am muckle scared of the door pa and tears trickled down the lad's pale face the door laddie suddenly exclaimed his mother a nod from andy weel weel laddie cried his mother remembering the night 
would ye have me believe it were the time i found ye gapin gapin so fearsomely at the door with the door so near andy was now too scared to speak the devil exclaimed his father and what did ye see that so frightened ye twas yourself dad came the boy's timorous response mr mccurry rubbed his eyes then rubbed his spectacles and put them on staring the while at andy in blank amazement and the light dawned in upon him slowly it leaked into his brain you saw me lad the devil twas christmas night i were even given up for dead and mrs amantha mccurry believed but she did not tell it to the neighbours for it was andy's vision end of section three recording by melissa green